Hello everyone, I hope this finds you in good health. Welcome to Ha'igaret, The Message, a unique journal of original and plagiarized Jewish thought. In the merit of my grandfather, Benjamin Aryeh Ben Meir, and for Rafu Shlema, a complete healing for Esther Batsipora. This week's Parsha or portion is Noach, and the Torah does not tarry. We are only in the second Parsha of the year, and we jump right into what I think is the most recallable biblical story, the story of Noah, Noah, and the Teva, the Ark. Run up to anyone on the street and ask them how many days it rained on Noah's Ark. Ask them what kind of olive branch carrying bird is important in the story, or what multicolored weather phenomenon has a starring moment at the end. I think a lot of people could answer all those questions. Noah's Ark might just be the most accurately recalled event in regard to Torah and Bible readers. When we first meet Noah in this Parsha, he is introduced as a righteous man, perfect within his generation. Noah ish sadik tamim hayab And we are told that Noah walked with God. Eta alokim hi Noah. What is an ish sadik, a righteous man? And also, why add the qualifier in his generation? Just like a parent loves their children without end, a righteous person loves good deeds without end. A parent doesn't love their child out of duty. They love them because they love them. And like a parent doesn't dismiss an unremarkable child as unimportant, a righteous person doesn't dismiss a small mitzvah, commandment, or deed as insignificant. Rav Moshe Feinstein, 20th century rabbi known as the Gadol Hador, the greatest in his generation, taught that a person should work hard to perfect their deeds just as they spare no effort to help their children. Okay, and then why was the qualifier, quote, in his generation, Badurotav, added to Noah's descriptor? Famously, there are different interpretations. The first interpretation is that people in the time of Noah were so awful that for him to still be a righteous person was a great feat. Another explanation is that he was only good in comparison to those same awful people. Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, essential 12th century Torah commentator, taught that if Noah were to exist in the generation of Abraham, of Abraham, he would be insignificant. On Rashi's train of thought, I have to ask a question. Why did no one else join Noah and his family? Noah builds his ark, but he isn't able to bring anyone else to make tshuva or to repent. He's building this Costco warehouse-sized boat over like 120 years, and we assume that none of his neighbors ever stopped and asked what he was doing. And if someone did stop and ask him why he's building this huge boat, did Noah not explain that the world had deteriorated so terribly that God was planning to destroy it? I don't even know that anyone of Noah's time would necessarily even believe that explanation, but if we think of Noah in this not-so-perfect way, we see that he's a great example of a perfectly good man who's just not a leader. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs puts Noah in context. With Adam and Chava, with Adam and Eve, they fail the test of personal responsibility when they eat from the Eitz Hadat, the Tree of Knowledge. Cain fails the test of moral responsibility when he says, Am I my brother's keeper? Hashem or Achi when asked where his brother is. And Noah fails the test of collective responsibility. Hasidic thought teaches that Noah was a tzaddik im or in pelts, a righteous man in a fur coat, meaning there are two ways to be warm. You can wear a coat or make a fire. And which one do you think Noah was picking by getting on the teva, the ark with just his family? It's nice and well to be snug and warm in your own goodness, but a fire can be enjoyed by everyone around you. So think about this. Which choice do you make in your own life? Is collective responsibility something that you value? Okay, so after 40 days and 40 nights of torrential rain that covers the earth, and after about a year of waiting for the land to dry, Noah and his family emerge. God then sends a rainbow. 
God says that the rainbow is a sign of a promise, a covenant to never flood the earth again. Before the flood, humankind's role on earth was to react to God's involvement in it. The pre-flood world was like the mushal, the parable, about the Dead Sea, Yam HaMelach, versus the Sea of Galilee, the Kinneret. The Kinneret takes in water from the Jordan River, Nahar HaYarden, and then flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, however, only takes water that flows from the Kinneret through the Jordan. It has no outlet. As you may know, the Dead Sea is extremely uninhabitable, and the Kinneret is a freshwater lake that serves as a water source for modern-day Israel. To put it simply, the Dead Sea takes, and therefore is, well, dead, while the Kinneret both gives and takes, and is very much alive. The pre-flood world was just a receptacle, a basin like the Dead Sea, a one-way street from God, with humankind not interacting with the divine at all. The post-flood world is like the Kinneret, with the potential to both take and give. The post-flood world had the potential to create, and to be a partner in creation, the potential to take what it was given, and imbue it with original ideas, growing and expanding the godly involvement beyond what was possible before. But things weren't all bad in the pre-flood world. People were living to like 700, 900 years. The Zohar, the foundational text of Jewish mysticism, aka Kabbalah, explains that this was an era of divine benevolence, where the gifts of health, long life, and prosperity were bestowed upon the earth by God. But this is confusing. If all of these good things no longer come from above in this post-flood world, it sounds like we're worse off now. Okay, so here's the difference. Before the flood, the privilege of the world even existing hinged on the level of morality on earth. And so when humanity disintegrated, boom, we suddenly have the flood. The pre-flood world had some nice perks, but it wasn't so stable, versus the post-flood world that doesn't have those perks, but it exists no matter what. Our existence is one that's assured, a world that's desired by its creator regardless of its state of alignment with God's will. This brings us back to Noah and his endless desire to do good. Like a righteous person will always do acts of kindness even if they're small, and like a parent will always love their child no matter their state of corruption or disintegration, our world is desired by our Father. This is not a free pass to do whatever we want, but rather an encouragement to be a partner in creation. And speaking of being partners in creation, let's discuss the rainbow. The way a rainbow works is that light passes through water droplets suspended in the atmosphere and then refracts the light, producing the visual of a rainbow. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, taught that the pre-flood world lacked the rainbow, meaning it lacked both the physical phenomenon and the abstract idea of what it represents. Before the flood, nothing could rise from below and interact with the divine because it was a one-way relationship, like we've discussed. Before the flood, even the water or mist that evaporated from the earth could only absorb but not refract the light of the sun. That was the spiritual energy of the pre-flood world. And so there were no rainbows and no partnering in creation. And not having agency in our world leaves little purpose. Think about anything in life, in a job, in a friendship, in a school course. If you simply take an in instruction, effort, and information, we're no different from the Dead Sea, receiving and absorbing. But if we're partners in these situations, we have agency and control. We can be the Kinneret. In a job, we contribute ideas. In a friendship, we make plans and give support in the other direction. In a class, we ask questions. After the rains of the flood emerged a world that rose to meet what was bestowed onto it, a world that has the creative potential to refine and develop its gifts. So we are partners in creation. We're partners in our lives. We're partners in our relationships. Our world was beautiful, but it needed humankind to be brought to its full potential. 
We have natural godly gifts, yes, but natural talent is nothing. It's not nurtured and refined. We can love someone, but if we don't make active choices to be a worthy partner, it's nothing but infatuation. The rainbow not only reminds us of the post-flood covenant, but it also reminds us that we have the ability to be partners in creation every day. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, or subscribe, and I hope you have a Shabbat Shalom.